Okay, so, you know, um, this, this whole thing of the Bible, how many think that's an important deal? Like, and you think about this thing called Judges, that's, a, that's quite a book, that's quite a book, and, and the next slide shows us this verse that, that you all know very well, but it's an interesting verse. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God gave us the Word, the Word of God. And, and if, you, if, you, if you're some people I know, especially young believers, they've never really read the Old Testament. They think it's boring. Now, I don't know about you, but how many of you think the book of Judges is boring? This is the most interesting book you can find. It's crazy. Judges has the most unique stories, and I really appreciated Pastor Andrew last week setting up the book of Judges and really laying out the background, the setting, and some of the challenges that are sitting there culturally. How do we manage this book? How do we deal with the fact that there are some really difficult things and topics inside this book? And where does this all look, and where does it all go? So I thought Andrew did a great job. If you didn't see that, I would say go back on the website and check it out and read through that for next week. That's, that's really good. So when, when Pastor Corey gave me this passage, I thought, this is exciting. I love the book of Judges. I can't wait to do this. And then as I started interacting with the text, I discovered that there are about seven messages inside this little section of Scripture he gave me. And I thought, oh, my word, what am I going to speak on? There's, I could go here. I could go here. So you guys don't mind if we stay till about 2 o'clock this afternoon. You guys okay with that? we just go through each message. Some of you are a little worried about that, and I don't blame you for being worried about that. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go through um, the book, of just the, the reading of the text, and we're going to walk through what the text says, and we're going to make some commentary on that, okay? And then we're going to come back, and we're going to focus on one of the seven messages that I saw in this text. Is that okay? Or would, would you like two or three, or just, how many would you like just one of those messages? Okay, we'll just, we'll focus on one of those messages this morning. So that's where we're going to go. So if you open up your Bibles um, to Judges chapter 2. And I'm going to actually use this here. I think I'll use my, my phone. I'm going to look at verse 6. So Judges chapter 2, verse 6. He says, so after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites. Now, remember the background of the story of Judges? We, you, you know, just to kind of bring us back up to speed, we have Moses rescuing the people from Egypt. They go through and they wander in the desert for a while. And then God brings up another leader, Joshua. And God calls Joshua, and then Joshua takes him across the Jordan River into the promised land. And as they come into the promised land, they start taking out and pushing out the peoples that were there because God said, now this time is up for these people, and I want the Israelites to live here. And, and yet, the truth is, they didn't do a great job at that, right? They, at the beginning, it was awesome. They won a lot of battles. And then slowly over time, they stopped fighting. They stopped taking over the land. And we find now Joshua's coming to an end. And interestingly here, we find in the book of Judges, it's kind of like Genesis, you have two beginnings, two introductions, two prologues. That's an interesting thing. And, and, and you know, in, in Genesis chapter 1, you have God creating. In Genesis chapter 2, you have God creating. Here in Judges chapter 1, you have you know, Joshua dying. And Judges chapter 2, you have Joshua dying again. Like, he didn't die twice, okay? This is what happened. Just, it was just one is kind of like an overview, and then the other one starts to get into the specificity of the topic. And so we see in Judges chapter 2, verse 6, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites... In other words, all the people had gathered around him, and he sent them. They went to their to possession of the land. And so all the different tribes of Israel were allocated different aspects or different parcels of the land that was there in Palestine. Verse 7, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. 
Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnah, Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the Mount Gosh. So what we find is, is here is Joshua. He's been honoring God. He did what he was supposed to do. He helped the people come into the promised land. And, and now he's taking the people and he's saying, okay, go to the spots that you're supposed to go. You've been having an inheritance in this land. Now you go to your spots and take over your inheritance. And then all of the leaders that were with Joshua had gone through probably the Red Sea. Certainly they had crossed over the Jordan and had watched God. Imagine this. They were walking around. This is your military strategy. You're going to walk around the city of Jericho, right? And you're going to just make a lot of noise. And the walls that are like 15 feet wide are just going to fall down. How many think that's a really intelligent, brilliant strategy? They had watched God open up the Jordan River. They had watched God destroy this amazing city. They had watched God push out all of these giants, the sons of Nanak. God had done all these things in front of them, and these leaders had experienced in faith what God had done. And they saw this with their own eyes. They experienced it as they acted in faith, and they saw God, and they knew God had done these things. And so when these leaders who stood up in front of the people who were there, all the people were continuing to follow God as long as those leaders who's had those experiences and understood who God was, was present. It's interesting what we find here in Joshua chapter 2, because it says in verse 10, after that whole generation had gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now what I doubt is, is any of those people any of those children didn't know the stories, right? I'm sure they knew about the story of even going back to Moses and, and, the, and the plagues. And, 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 and we saw them, you know, what happened in the Red Sea and Pharaoh being destroyed. And, and even the battles that happened along Midian and other places that they were in. I'm certain that they, they knew all of those stories about crossing the Jordan and even Jericho being destroyed. But they didn't know those stories. They weren't there for them. And so it says in verse 11, Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal in the Astros. Of course, we know <coughs> the Baals are... It's kind of a word, it's an interesting word because it, it certainly was a specific name for the gods, especially of the Amorite people who were in that region. But the word kind of literally means like leader or king or father, head of the home kind of idea. But the god Baal in the Old Testament, especially in this region, he was the god of thunder, the god of, god of like rain, god of harvest. So, so there, you know, why would the people who live in kind of an arid temperatured area want a god of Rain? Anyone guess on that? You want to eat? You want to live? What about also the reality he had in the aspect of him, though, of fertility? So, you know, here you are, you can't have children, and now you're living in a place where you, where you farm, and this is your life, and you can't have a heritage. And, and so why are these people disobeying God and running after these other gods? Well, you think about these gods are offering opportunities that they were looking for. Instead of looking to the God of heaven for them, they were going after these other gods. We see the Astra, now that she's the female goddess, 
And she's the female goddess of fertility, amongst other things. And you, you look at the history of who she is. Um, she actually plays out in how all these other goddesses come into being, where we see even in Egypt and all the way to the Roman Empire. It's interesting, this Amorite goddess, Astrid, now becomes these other things. But, but these are people now on the land, the people who are the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, these people who are living in the land worship false gods, and they have all kinds of terrible rituals, things that they do that are really not great. Gods like Molech, where they would take their babies and they would offer burnt sacrifices of their newborn babies onto the bros and arms of Molech so that they could have the, the good graces of Molech. They would murder their children. We find people doing all kinds of terrible things in terms of prostitution and temple prostitutes and the way they would treat their bodies and their sexual behaviors were crazy and terrible. And that's what the people of Israel now, what they have done is they've moved away from God and they've lost the memory of who he is. The leaders have now passed who had that history and we find now that they are forsaking God and it says in verse 12, they forsook the Lord and the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt and they followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them and they aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served the Baal and the Asterisk. In his anger, it says in verse 14, against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them they were in great distress. And so now the people of Israel, who are supposed to be called of God to lead the world, to show the world that there is a God in heaven, they're supposed to be light, they're supposed to be doing the things of God, so as they obey God and they act in holy ways, the world around them knows that there's a God in heaven, right? This is the idea. They're supposed to be light to the rest of the world. But instead, they're basically doing what everyone else is doing. They're following after what everyone else is doing. They're putting their hope not in the God of heaven, but in the hope in their God of Baal or the God of Astra. They're trying to find their, their purpose and their meaning and their value and their security in life, not from the God of heaven, but they're trying to find their security in the same ways the people around them do. I'm glad none of us are like this, eh? Isn't that good? How many of you are glad that we're not like those people of Israel back in the day? Yeah, I think we're starting to see why God gives us his word and why he teaches us these things. God, of course, is angry. And God has told them, if you don't obey me, I'm actually not going to be behind you. I'm not going to give you grace. I'm not going to protect you. And so the people of the land start coming in and raiders from outside the land come in and start making the Israelites servants. They're back being slaves again to these different people. And the people would cry out in distress and go, God, help us, help us, this is terrible. And it's interesting, even though they've disobeyed God and they maybe haven't even repented, what they do, God does, and he comes and what he says here. Verse 20. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. And the Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. So when the people came into the land, even Joshua himself didn't finish the task. As much as we, we, we honor Joshua, he's a good leader, we thank him, but he actually didn't finish the task. 
And now the people aren't finishing the task either. They were supposed to push out of the land and pull out all the people that were not believing in God and were, were doing these terrible things. They wouldn't do it. Now God is saying, because you have chosen not only not to do that, but then to follow in the paths of all these people, I'm going to let them stay here. I want to keep them right here. We find this interesting, interesting cycle. We go back to verse 19. But when the judge, sorry, rather verse 18. So whenever the Lord raised up a judge, well, I'm sorry, I jumped, I jumped here too quickly. I wanted to get back. I wanted to go back and forth and I, here we go. So verse 16. So the Lord raised up judges. So now these difficult situations were happening. The people are crying out to God. He said, the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of their raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was he was with the judge and saved them. So God would bring a judge, and this is what the book is, the book of Judges, okay? You guys are really quiet. I'm so used to people speaking back to me. So just put up with the missionary for the day and just talk back to me and act like, you know, maybe you're a little darker church, okay? So just, just, just help me out here. Help me out, okay? Help a brother out, okay? All right, so, so whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was, he was with the judge and saved them and out of the hands of their enemies as long as, can you read that with me? As long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to their ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. And so we see this next slide here tells us kind of a cycle that you're going to see played out. And next week, if Corey or Andrew, whoever's speaking next week, is probably going to show you this, this slide. I mean, this is, this is going to be, it's played out in the rest of the book of Judges. Basically, on the very beginning, the people rebel against God, right? They go against God, and then so God brings a peop, uh, some kind of punishment, some kind of judgment. So the so raiders of the land come, and they put the people in, in, in some kind of indentured servitude. Okay, then the people go, oh, this is terrible, and they cry out to God. So God then brings them a judge. The judge comes and rescues them from whatever the problem was or whatever the people who were oppressing them. The people then go, oh, great. And so as long as the judge is alive, there's some kind of peace in the world, right? But then when the judge dies, guess what happens? The people all go back away from God. They go do their own things, and then God does what? And this, this is the book of Judges, okay? This is the book of Judges. We go back to the text now in chapter 3. These are the nations that the Lord left to test all the Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experiences. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonites, the Hivites, living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Bel Hamram to Lebo Hamath. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands which he had given their ancestors through Moses. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. Pardon me. So what are we seeing here? God says, okay, you're not doing what I want. I'm going to leave these people in the land and they're going to be difficult for you. They're going to be a problem for you. They're going to be kind of like a pain in your bum. You're going to have to deal with these people again and again and again. And they're going to be there to tempt you. You're going to want to follow after their gods. You're going to want to do the things that they're doing. You're going to, you're going to do the things that they're doing. In fact, 
This is going to be a test to see whether you're going to love me, trust me, or whether you're going to do what everyone else is doing around you. It's interesting when you look at this list of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Anyone ever take a look at the, the map of Palestine? Look to where Israel is today? You notice something interesting that, that this was given, you know, 3,300, 3,600 years ago, like a long time ago. Like in the map of Palestine, you notice where the people are in Palestine? Do you notice where the different people that give Israel trouble are? Did did you ever read this list? How many did you find it interesting that geographically the same kind of locations are the same kind of places that are still problematic for the Jews, even 3,500 years of history later? How many find that interesting? I find that really interesting. In fact, we call it Palestine because that's more palatable to the English tongue because we knew having been predominantly Christian, the idea of Philistia is actually kind of a derogatory idea. But the Arabic word for that region is Philistia. How many find that interesting? We find interesting things in the Bible. That's really kind of cool. What we find here is that people, instead of doing what they're supposed to do, they actually rejected God and instead of actually keeping themselves separate, then they went along with the people. And then they can just do just like innocent kind of sin where like, how many of you like innocently sin like several times a day? Yeah, I do. Kind of a, a white lie or, or sometimes I get angry or sometimes I say things I shouldn't say to somebody. It's kind of like an innocent kind of sin. It's like, it's like it happens and then you kind of want to take it back and you ask God, please forgive me because I reacted in a certain way that shouldn't work. But we know when you're marrying somebody, how many think that's like a like a reactionary type thing? Like it's not thought out. Like you don't like like to have to have a wedding and have all your family come. Like when you're sinning in this way, like let's go marry a person who's totally against God and let's do that and have a service right here in the service right here. I'm a believer in Jesus, and this person is against God and actually worships another demon. Let's have a marriage service. How many think that's a great idea? I'm not trying to be totally ridiculous. I'm trying to get you to understand that when he makes this little passing statement about them intermarrying, he wasn't only talking about the sin of intermarrying. He was trying to show the express reality of how integrated they were and how much they had totally gone against what God said. They didn't just make quick little decisions. Oops, I saw this, you know, this person and I lusted after them. Okay, that's not great. That's terrible. It's sin. Yes, it is. Okay, I decided I wanted to, I was getting nervous about my crops and so I bowed down one day to this bale. Okay, that's not great. But no, I actually purposely chose to marry into this other family and then all of that other stuff happens. These are very intentional sins. Okay, so I have about an hour and a half left to give you this sermon I want to get to. I have some questions for you. Here we look at Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Look what it says. It says, For everything that was written in the past was written to, can you say this with me? Teach us. So that through the endurance taught in scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. How many want that? I want some hope. In fact, when I started the church in, in, uh, in Vancouver, you know what the name of the church was? Community of Hope, because I like hope. So these are my two boys. These, uh, this, this is Elijah and Josiah. And, uh, and we've been working with these guys, and they're, they're growing in their faith journey. Lots of cool things have happened. There's lots of story I could tell, but 
I can't, so I'm going to give you a little brief thought here. You know, um, I live in Canada, and how many of you know that Canada is different than the United States? So Canada is about 20 to 30 years progressed in the secularization and the secular humanism and the antagonism against Christianity and against God than America is. So whatever we're doing today, you'll get the privilege of doing in a couple of years. Okay? Isn't that great? It's fantastic. How many of you are kind of, you know, after especially the last six years of, of the political climate in our country, in the United States especially, it's been very volatile, kind of get really frustrated and almost sickened by the depravity that's in our culture. And we got people who, um, you know, it's one thing that, 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 that we want to normalize homosexuality and want to make people feel comfortable in a secular world, and then now we find that we, if we don't actually agree with it and actually espouse our agreement, then we are, could be not only, we could lose our jobs, we could go to prison, we could do other things. Or maybe we discover that, that, that um, our schools are teaching, along with our universities, that people no longer are male and female, but there's actually like 21 different possible genders, and that, that just keeps growing, right? And so now we no longer have responsibility to how God has designed us, but rather it's just what we think and what we want. How many think these are great ideologies that we love? How many realize this is hard, right? We live in a very difficult place and very difficult time in history. And we, and we think about ourselves as kind of like these um, almost martyrs. And I hear Christians talk about this terrible reality. But I just wonder, you know, how Paul felt when he was living with a guy like Nero, who had an island of little boys that he would rape. How do you deal with such a de- just depraved culture that he lived in? I think if we start thinking about things, I think we start to realize that we live in a broken world. Is that true? We live in a broken world, and some of us Christians are so bothered by it, we should be bothered by it in the terms of not behaving like it. But we can't be confused why it's here, and I think some of these things are going to come out. And my boys have been going to Christian school for the last three years. It's been really good for them. But we've been thinking about, hey, how do we reach our neighbors for Jesus How do we start to build better relationships with those that are lost around us? And my boys are saying, we don't know our people in our neighborhood. We know our Christian friends. We know the kids that we go to school with. We know the kids at church. What about our neighbors? How do we get to know them? And so the boys are like, I think it's time to go back to public school, Dad. And so here in Canada, um, the public school where we are here in Vancouver, they start grade eight is when they start high school. And so my son Josiah turns grade eight. My son Elijah is, 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 is a sophomore or grade 10. So so, um, so what happens is my buddy, my buddy uh, Ryan, helps to coach the football team there at Siakam. Now, football is a big deal here in Pennsylvania, right? Football is like on the bottom of the deal in Canada, okay? <laughs> so, so to make the football team isn't a thing, okay, in Canada. Like, like did, you, did, you, did you breathe and show up to practice? <laughs> You're on a team! <laughs> well, so my, my son Elijah, he's six foot tall and 200 pounds, and he's only 14. What do you think? Should play some football, right? Let's get this kid in football. So the guy says, let's play football. So we got an opportunity to bring him to football. 
and he's doing really great, and he's really loving it. And, and so this spring, our church was giving a, a, an evangelism class, how to reach lost people, how to reach people in, in this postmodern world, how to have uh, you know, godly conversations with lost people. And so my boys both said, we want to take it because we're getting ready to go to school in the fall, and we want to be ready to see them, our friends come to know Christ. So I guess the question I ask is this question. Are we training up the next generation? Are we training up the next generation? See, if it says here in, in Judges chapter 2, verse 7, it says, The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived them and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. But he says in verse 11 and 13, Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord of the God of, of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served the Baals and the Ashers. Guys, once the leaders were gone, the next generation forsook God. So I asked the question, are we raising up leaders? Why has God placed us in the midst of a godless world? You know, why is it that I'm going to send my kid to a public school in Canada where almost everything they're taught from a moral and, and, and sociological perspective is antithetical to my Christian faith? Like almost everything. Almost everything. My son comes back from school saying, yeah, um, my teacher went on a rant for about an hour or about 20 minutes today because her daughter is, is non-binary and she's feeling for her. And she's talking about this and, and telling us that we... And we have a rule in Canada, if you, you do not agree with the pronoun that a person has, you can put, be put in jail if you don't say their pronoun. Like, that's the law in Canada. Why would I send my kids there? Why is God letting us be in this place? What's going on? Look what it says in Judges. I wrote... Well, Paul wrote this, actually. This is, I want to put this in before we go there. But 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Look what Paul said. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, I grew up hyper-conservative. I grew up independent, independent, can you say it with me just a couple more times? Independent, independent Baptist, okay? We were the only ones who knew Jesus and the only ones who knew the Bible, okay? Anyone else grew up in a church similar to that, have a background like that? Okay, yeah, we're the only, we had, we're the only ones hands on the Bible. So, so we were so busy being separate from the world, we're condemning all the lost people and how bad they were. But interesting what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Look what he says. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Can you read this in verse 10? Not at all meaning the people of this world. In that case, okay, you'd have to leave this world. So I'd like to stay here longer, but my time is starting to run out. The point is, Paul is telling us that God has allowed us to be in a broken, crazy world. And if we go back now to the text, I think God has placed us, the next, next slide here, I think God has placed us, the, placed the Israelites in the midst of a godless people to test and train them to fully follow him. Look what it says here in, in Judges chapter 2. It says here, I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will, that they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it. The, the reason why God left them there 
The reason why we live in a broken, destroyed world is, are we going to follow after God or are we going to follow after something else? And that's pretty easy to do when there's nothing else to follow after. But what happens when all the people around us are actually going in a different direction? Are we still going to follow after God? He did this in verse three, chapter 3, verse 2. He did, this not only to teach, he, he did this only to teach them warfare to the descendants of Israelites who had, had, had not had previous battle experience. You know what? Some of us have lived our faith, and God has called us to act in faith. And we have watched God show up. How many of you have watched God show up? How many can attest in your life that you prayed or you sacrificed and you did something imperfectly as you did it and God showed up in spite of you? How many of you have that experience? I do hundreds of times over. I can tell you about how God helped me and saved my family and dealt with this and brought resources and and brought people to Jesus and did things. I've watched God in battles of spiritual reality and watched God show up and my faith is strong and I praise God for it. But what about my kids? What about our children? And what about the people we're trying to make disciples of? And what about the future leaders of our churches? Are we letting them grow up? Are we allowing them to expose themselves to the world, to be connected to lost people, to be in the world and have to figure out how to grow the muscle of spiritual warfare so they can have the same experience of God meeting them where they are in faith? Amen? I think sometimes as Christians, we're trying to create our quiet little, perfect little greenhouse bubble, and no one is growing any muscle to figure out how to work in the world around us. It's really, really, really difficult. And so he says here, back, go back, verse 4, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's command. See, here's what I think. Each generation of disciples must have their own experience with God. Can I get any amens on that? They can't live off my faith. I can lead, and while I'm leading, they might even still follow God, at least on the outside. But they can't live off my faith. They have to have their own. And this is what I think this text is screaming at us. I think, it's, I think it's shouting at us. I think this passage in particular is yelling at us. It's telling us as believers, if we're going to make disciples, if we're going to rise up new leaders, if we're going to train the next generation, we have to understand that God wants this difficult tension of the perversion all around us and us trying to live in the middle of it. It's going to train us. It's going to help us. Look what he says here in chapter 2, verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who, can you say this with me? Knew. Say it with me. Knew. Yeah, we don't have any children in the room. That's good. This word knew is different than the normal word that we think of in English. This is a deeper knowing. Like when it says that, and -and so-and-so knew his wife, then they had children afterwards. Knew. This word new is not the same word. It's just kind of informationally understood something. This is experientially having knowledge about. See, these people, Joshua and the people that were with him, they knew they had experienced God as they crossed over the Jordan River. 
as they sat outside of Jericho and wondered if they were morons for walking around the city for seven days and watched God implode the city and they took it over and they started taking out all kinds of other places because God was in front of them and they saw God meet them in great ways and they knew God, amen? And we believe that and we know that and these things are true. And our kids can know those stories, but do they know the God that will help them in their situation? Have they known those experiences of their own? Are the leaders that were growing up, do they know these things? Do they experience them? Neither the Lord, look what they didn't know, neither the Lord nor what, ready, he had done for Israel. Didn't know it. They, they knew the story. Dad, grandma told them the story, but they didn't experience it for themselves. It wasn't theirs. Here's the question. Are we going to let them help them, train them to be mighty warriors for the Lord? I think each of us has a different question, a different situation. We're all different. I don't think there's cookie cutters. I don't think there's one answer for everything. I don't think you should do what I'm doing. I think you and the Holy Spirit have work to do. But for me and my family, we had to pray about whether we're going to let our daughter, Alyssa, go to Simon Fraser University, which is the bastion of ridiculous ideology, and started all this weird stuff when it comes to gender realities and all kinds of sociological perversion. We had to ask real hard questions about whether we're going to let our two sons go back into the public high school system that's going to teach them complete garbage on almost every level every day. These are our questions that we had to wrestle with. I don't know what your questions are. They're different than mine. What I do know is our tendency as those who experience God and have watched God reach us, we think that the people behind us are going to have the same level of, wow, I know God can do it because they didn't have that experience to show what God showed up. They didn't know that. And if we keep on protecting them, we're going to atrophy all of the people around us that we're trying to disciple and lead. We need to give them opportunity. God has allowed those peoples, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, all of these people who, who believe perverted, weird things to live in the land. Is anyone seeing any different today? Or are we seeing this story lived out in front of us today? I think this text is very, very relevant. I think it's very relevant. Are we going to let them or help them? We're going to train them to be mighty warriors for the Lord. Look what it says here in Judges. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and they took their daughters in marriage and gave their sons and daughters and served their gods. Are we going to let their kids do what everyone else is doing, be what everyone else is doing? So the last slide here, I think, is are we training up the next generation? Are we connecting with lost people so that we can be trained to follow God more fully? I don't know if this is connecting with you or not, but this is screaming at me. This text has spoken to me in a strong way and it's challenging my faith because as a dad, I want to overprotect. But you know what? I need to figure out how to let my kids do what they're doing. And instead of criticizing them for it, I need to actually be available for them. So you know what we decided to do as a family? Every morning, kids get up at 6, 
they do their chores, they, they do their Bible time, and at seven, we do breakfast and we pray together and we ask what are the things that they're learning at school that we need to work on. And when they come home, we talk about it. We started to intentionally make more time for us to digest the garbage that they're going to have to process. But we didn't keep them from having to engage it. That's what we decided to do. And I don't know who the people are in your life, but I want to say, whoever that is, how are we training up the next generation? Or do we think because we've had these experiences, they must automatically know who God is too? Father, there's a lot to be said, and I probably did a poor job this morning trying to get it out, but your Holy Spirit is in front of us, beside us, and in us, working. So you're going to tell us so much more. So take your word and let it go forth. Take your word, let it speak to us. Help it, let it change us. Lord, you didn't write these things just for us to have a history lesson. <laughs> you wrote them because they're relevant, they're live, they're active, and they can affect us. Lord, we often live in judgment or critical aspects of the world around us. The truth is, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Hivites, they needed to know the God of heaven. And I know a prostitute who was living in Jericho who said, would you redeem me? And Lord, it was through her you sent your own son. Lord, we live in a world that might be all messed up. They need a redeemer. They need a savior. They need us as Christians to stand up and be light and darkness. They need our kids and the leaders that we're developing to be light and in that dark world. And they need us to love them and show them Christ's love. Lord, are we raising up leaders who have strength and have muscle and know how to fight the spiritual battles that are in front of us? Are we atrophying everyone who's super protecting everyone and criticizing the lost around us? Give us a different perspective, God. Help us to take the things you've let us have, which is a broken world, and help us to live in it in a holy way. Help us to raise up new leaders, I pray. 